A reading from the second book of Samuel. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, Nathan said, Judge this case for me. In a certain town, there were two men, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had flocks and herds in great numbers, but the poor man had nothing at all except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He nourished her, and she grew up with him and his children. She shared the little food he had and drank from his cup and slept in his bosom. She was like a daughter to him. Now the rich man received a visitor, but he would not take from his own flocks and herds to prepare a meal for the wayfarer who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and made a meal of it for his visitor. David grew very angry with that man and said to him, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this merits death. He shall restore the ewe lamb fourfold because he has done this and has had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, the, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, I will bring evil upon you out of your own house. I will take your wives while you live to see it and will give them to your neighbor. He shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. You have done this deed in secret, but I will bring it about in the presence of all Israel and with the sun looking down. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan answered David, the Lord on his part has forgiven your sin. You shall not die. But since you have utterly spurned the Lord by this deed, the child born to you must surely die. Then Nathan returned to his house. The Lord struck the child that the wife of Uriah had borne to David, and it became desperately ill. David besought God for the child. He kept the fast, retiring for the night to lie on the ground clothed in sackcloth. The elders of his house stood beside him, urging him to rise from the ground, but he would not, nor would he take food with them. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> Create a clean heart in me, O God. A clean heart create for me, O God and a steadfast spirit renew within me. Cast me not out from your presence, and your Holy Spirit take not from me. Give me back the joy of your salvation, and a willing spirit sustain in me. I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall return to you. 
Free me from blood guilt, O God, my saving God. Then my tongue shall revel in your justice. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. Dominus Fobiscum. Lexia Sancti Evangelii Secundum Marcum. On that day, as evening drew on, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us cross to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took Jesus with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. A violent squall came up, and waves were breaking over the boat, so that it was already filling up. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Quiet, be still. The wind ceased, and there was great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you terrified? Do you not yet have faith? They were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this whom even the wind and sea obey? Verbum Domini. In our reading today from the second book of Samuel, God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David regarding his grave sins and ultimately to lead him to repentance. Nathan told David a parable and he presented it as a court case, saying, judge this case for me. After hearing the case, David's heart was stirred to great anger at the injustice that had been recounted. And he said, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this merits death. He had no idea that 
his condemnation of the guilty man in the court case was a condemnation against himself and what he had done. You are the man, Nathan said to him. And this is where David is an example for us because he didn't try to excuse himself. Remember earlier on in the book of Samuel, Saul was confronted by his sins when he disobeyed the Lord with regard to the battle they went into. And when Saul was confronted, King Saul, he tried to excuse himself or blame other people. David here is confronted with regard to his grave sins, and he immediately repents. He's an example to us of repentance, of conversion. Again, he did not seek to excuse himself. His first words were, I have sinned against the Lord. Again, remember, David was the king, and he had a lot of power. There could have been a temptation there for him to say, who are you to accuse me? I am the king. Who are you to confront the king? How dare you accuse me? Again, he didn't try to hide his sin when he was confronted with it. But when he became aware of its gravity, he immediately admitted his sins. He took responsibility and repented. And this required great humility. And Nathan responded, the Lord on his part has forgiven your sin. You shall not die. So reminded that no matter how grave a sin we have committed, God truly forgives a contrite and humble heart if we truly repent and turn back to him. However, we know that there are also consequences due to our sins. And so this passage is an occasion to recall the distinction between guilt and temporal punishment due to sin. Right? The guilt of his grave sins of adultery and arranging for the death of an innocent man Bathsheba's husband, remember he arranged that he be killed on the battlefront. Those sins were forgiven when he repented and turned back to the Lord. But as Nathan, as God speaks through the prophet Nathan, there's still going to be temporal punishment due to his sin. There needs to be expiation made. God required a debt of temporal punishment due to David's grave sins. And this would entail great personal suffering. There'd be violence and rebellion within David's own house and his family. And Nathan tells him his wives would be taken from him, and he would also suffer the loss of the son born of his adulterous union. So David learned through all this that suffering is a painful consequence of spurning the Lord and his commandments, turning away from him. And yet again, David is an example because he bore those sufferings patiently in expiation for his sins. He knew that these, sin, these sufferings were purifying him. So again, we see David as a model of heartfelt repentance, of contrition, and humble confession of our sins. And his repentance found particular expression in Psalm 51, which was our responsorial psalm today. We heard a portion of it. The psalm composed by David is often referred to as the miserere, or in Latin it means have mercy. We're asking God for mercy. And it emphasizes humble contrition while asking for God's mercy. And we see elements in this psalm of what's required to be reconciled with God. The psalmist confesses his sin to the Lord. He accepts responsibility for his sin. Again, he doesn't try to excuse himself or blame others. But he also expresses contrition while asking for forgiveness. And he also asks for healing. And there's a powerful petition in Psalm 51 as well for renewal and conversion. As the psalmist prays in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. So when we repent, we not only seek forgiveness, 
that God might have mercy on us, but we also want to be renewed interiorly. We want to begin brand new. We want to get back on the right track on the path toward heaven and holiness. So to get back again to start afresh. And so this Psalm 51 is a prayer that can be incorporated into our own prayer life. It is already incorporated into the official prayer of the church, the Liturgy of the Hours, but it's also a prayer we can incorporate into our own personal prayer lives. Not only, again, seeking God's mercy and his forgiveness, but also praying for that interior renewal by the power of the Holy Spirit. In our gospel today, we hear the account of the Lord calming the storm on the sea. That storm had been a threat to sinking the boat in which the apostles and the Lord were on. And one point we can draw from this is that we shouldn't think that we're abandoned by the Lord when we experience temptations or grave trials or sufferings in this life. The apostles thought they were going to die when this violent storm was coming up against and battering their boat. But the Lord was still with them, asleep in the boat. He was shielding them. And our Lord didn't chastise them for waking him from sleep. He didn't say, why did you wake me? He chastised them. He corrected them because of the little faith. They didn't have confidence in him and in his power. They said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing when they woke him up? And so in light of this gospel passage, we're reminded to go to Christ as soon as possible in every danger, as the apostles did. But one thing we don't want to imitate from the apostles, again, is their lack of confidence in him. Lack of confidence in his divine power and his providence. Because we know the Lord permits sufferings in our lives. He permits trials for our greater good. At times he may seem to be asleep, but we know he's present. God permitted the storm to rise up and to beat against the boat that we might ultimately see his almighty power because when they did wake him, he very simply brought, brought this violent storm to a calm when he said simply, quiet, be still. And this boat that they were in has also traditionally been seen as a type or image of the church. As it was exposed to the violent fury of the storm and the waves, likewise the church is exposed to violent attack of the devil and will continue to be so until our Lord comes again on the last day. We can expect great suffering. The boat seemed to the apostles in the midst of the storm like it was going to sink, right? Like it was going to be destroyed and that they would perish. And similar, that there have been times throughout the history of the church when it seemed like the church was on the brink or point of destruction. But in the gospel, Jesus was asleep on the boat. It would not be destroyed while he himself was on it. Right? And he gave us a divine promise that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. He is guiding the church. And at the very precise time appointed by the Lord in his providence, he awoke and he rebuked the storm and he calmed the sea. Again, likewise, our Lord, who is all-powerful, he is protecting the church. And the church has been attacked and will continue to be attacked, but she will continue on the journey across the storms of the sea of this life until she reaches the harbor of heaven. And regarding the persecution and attacks on the church throughout her history, St. Augustine would say that God willed that it be so. Right? It would make, ultimately, it would make it more clear that the church is of divine institution, not human institution. If it was of human institution, the church would have been destroyed a long time ago. 
and the storms of persecution and sufferings endured throughout the history of the church also shows that the church imitates her founder, Christ. Remember on the road to Emmaus after the Lord's resurrection when he confronted those disciples as he was leading them, guiding them, instructing them? He said, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and so enter into glory? The church likewise endures suffering. And the boat in today's gospel has also been seen and interpreted as an image of the faithful soul. Right? We're also exposed to storms throughout this life. We have been and we will continue to be exposed to temptations and to suffering in this life. We can't escape suffering. We cannot escape the cross. Or we can't escape being subject to temptations in life. But our Lord has permitted these storms in our life for our spiritual good. And he does offer the grace to persevere through them. And he does give us consolation at times, just as he calmed the sea in the gospel today. He does give us times of peace and consolation. And when we look at the lives of the saints, we see that they persevered through many storms in their life, but they're also blessed at times with great peace and consolation. So with this gospel passage in mind, we know that we will never experience perfect peace and calm in this life. There will be moments of it, but if we're in a moment of consolation now, we know this is not going to last in this life. It's only in heaven that there will be perfect and unending peace and joy and happiness that God wants us to experience. We're also reminded to be prepared for storms that will come up unexpectedly in life. And we want to turn to the Lord again as soon as possible in those times of distress to beg him for his grace and his help. So we pray today through the intercession of Our Lady that we may never lose faith and confidence in Christ and in his divine providence knowing that he is all-powerful and that he loves us with an everlasting and unending love.